everyone. It's a pleasure to be able to share with you on this Sabbath day. It's been a blessing, this uh, refresh virtual uh, Sunset to Sunset Summit uh, that we've been having with linking the North England and Central California. And it's just been a blessing to see the different ministries. The title of the message is No Silver Lining. No Silver Lining. And I'd like to invite you to bow your heads for a word of prayer as we begin. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have to open your word. We thank you for the privilege we have to worship together. Be with us wherever we are gathered, whether it's in our home, our living room, our bedroom, our, our car, or as we're walking down the road, as we're listening to this message, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and touch our hearts. This we thank you, and this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Nothing beats the gold medal. Nothing beats the gold medal. If you go to a sports tournament, such as the Olympic Games, everybody wants to have that gold medal. The gold medal is the, is the one that everyone strives for. Nobody goes to the Olympic Games or to a tournament and says, my dream is to get a bronze. My dream is to get a silver. Everyone goes there hoping dreaming to get the top one. And even if they know they may not be the best athlete in the world, they still know that that is the goal that they should look for. And that's the goal that they should press. In the Olympic Games, if you, if you finish first, you get a gold. If you finish second, you get a silver. And the bronze medal is for those who finished third. Now, we are missing the Olympic Games this year. It should have been 2020 Tokyo. You can imagine the organizers of the 2020 Olympic Games are probably very, very annoyed and frustrated that all of their marketing 2020 Tokyo has now gone out the window as now it has to be 2021 Tokyo, which doesn't really roll off the tongue as well. The Olympic Games before was in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, and the one before that was in 2012, and that was right here in the United Kingdom in London. I had the privilege to go down there and uh, watch a little bit of basketball at the Olympic Games in London in 2012. I got to see the dream team. I saw, I saw Shaq and Kobe and LeBron and all those guys. That was pretty impressive. And Michelle Obama was there too. But that's not what I wanted to talk about. In 2012, there was a athlete that was playing for, was for America. Her name was Michaela Maroney. She was in the gymnastic the one where you run along, you got to jump on a, a bar and then you jump, do, do some twirls and you land on your feet. Now, she was in the group tournament. I think, you know, there was four of them and they got a gold medal. Then when she was coming up to do the silver, she did her thing and she was almost flawless. But as she landed on her feet, she stumbled just a little bit. And that little stumble meant that instead of getting the gold medal, she ended up getting the silver medal. Now, when she was getting the silver medal, they stand there on, 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 on the podium, the gold medalist in the middle, the silver, I believe, is to the right and the bronze to the left. And as they come over, they give them the flowers in the hand and they put the, gold, uh, they put the medals around the neck. They put the gold medal on the gold medalist. And as they reached down to put the silver medal on here, it kind of went over her head and it kind of caught on a ponytail, came down around her neck. The camera pans out as the, as the person who put the medal on her neck walks away and it caught her with a facial expression that was very, very unique. You can just Google it, Michelle, uh, Michaela Maroney, you'll, you'll, you'll find the pictures, London 2012. And, and, and she had a face where she had a, I don't even know if I can, I can do it. She had a lips like 
both together and then, to the, and then kind of like twisted to the side, like, or something like that. Anyway, the facial expression that she had was immediately conveyed as she's not very impressed at all. She's screwing her lips. She's pulling her face to the side. She's just won the silver medal, meaning she is the second best athlete in that uh, particular discipline in the whole world. And yet as she gets the silver medal, she looks like she's just mad. She's vexed. She's angry. Any one of us, you would think if we had, you know, we got to the Olympic Games, we got a silver. We're number two in the whole world. This woman, though, her face, her face was just screwed up. She became a meme. That picture quickly went viral. They had pictures of people landing on the moon or other significant events in the world. And then they had a picture of her in the corner, basically saying, you landed on the moon, I'm not impressed. Then they had just had pictures of her. And, and you know, one of them, some of them were just so basic. You know, I came to the Olympic Games. You know, those T-shirts that say someone went all the way to Jerusalem or New York and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. I came all the way to the Olympic Games in London and all I did was become a me. When she got back to America, Barack Obama, who was the president of the United States at the time, he invited her to the White House. And there in the White House, you can, you can see a picture online of Barack Obama and her kind of standing back to back, and they're both pulling this face. It was kind of funny. They took that picture together. Then, you know, she went on the David Letterman show, and on the David Letterman show, she was asked, you know what? Why is it that you made that face after you just won silver? You're at the Olympic Games. This is the pinnacle of your career, and, and most people would dream of a, a, a silver, a bronze, or, or, or whatever. And you know what? She said, well, you know, you know, I, I came so close. I came so close, but, but it wasn't close enough. That kind of sums up how I was feeling. I was close, but I wasn't close enough. Now, when they've actually done research into silver medalists, the sermon title is No Silver Lining. When they've done research into silver medalists, they've actually found that of all the medalists at, at a sporting event, such as the Olympics, the silver medalists are the most disappointed people of all the medalists. In 1988, at the Olympic Games that were in Seoul, Korea, there was, there was someone who did a, kind of some research. They recorded back in those days, and that was before DVDs. Back in those days, it was VCR, you know, video cassette tapes. And, and, and they had a video cassette player, and they were recording from the television, because it used to, used to be able to do that. Hook up your video play, your video cassette player to the television, and then as the TV was playing, you could record what was on the telly, and then you could watch it back later on. And so he was recording what was happening on the TV, and he was recording all the times when a medalist was uh, awarded their medal and all the times when the, the actual race finished and the camera pans in on the winner, the camera pans in on the silver medalist or the camera pans in on the bronze medalist and then the, um, and then the, um, the medal podium. And he did it for almost every single event that he could in the 1988 Olympic Games. He then collated all these video clips and put them all together, all the silvers, all the bronze and all, and, 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 and all the golds. He then had some social scientists, some people who were experts in body language and behavior to come in and watch all of these facial expressions. And as they watched the facial expressions, they had to scale them on a scale of from agony to ecstasy. Agony being zero, ecstasy being 10. 
And as they 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 they, they did this scale watching, what they did is they found that the gold medalists they they came in as number ten. You know, they they, they won the gold. They're the champion of the world. They're the best in the world. They came in as number ten, expected. The silver, so sorry, the bronze medalists came in with a scoring of seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. You know, they're happy. They're actually quite happy, the bronze medalists, because the bronze medalists have, in a sense, a point of reference where they're looking behind them. They're looking down and saying, well, at least I didn't get fourth. At least I didn't get fifth, because then I would have nothing. I, I finished just ahead of the person in third, and I finished just ahead of the person in fifth. I got a gold medal. They're happy. They're like, I made it onto the, onto the podium. I got a medal. They're actually quite happy, seven out of 10. Now, you would think if the gold is 10, and the silver is seven, sorry, the, the bronze is seven, that the silver medalist should be 8.5 in the middle. But no, but no. Silver medalists, they found, silver medalists do not fall halfway between gold and bronze on the happiness scale from agony to ecstasy. They found that silver medalists fall at a rating out of 10 of four, Point five, 4.5, way lower than the bronze and obviously way, way lower than the gold. You see, the reason being is that they're not comparing themselves to number fourth or fifth anymore because they've already gone past the bronze stage. The silver medalists are only comparing themselves as a point of reference to one place, and that is the gold medal position. And they look at where the gold medal came, they look at where they came, and they can see that it's just marginal differences, fractional changes that would have caused them to go from the silver to, 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 to the gold. And, and they look at that, they're so close. It's been four years since the last Olympics, or it's been eight or 20 years they've been training since they're little children, and all those nights away, you know, at the track or at the, the, the gym and so on. And they got close, but they were just not close enough. And they found the people that win silver medalists are actually, of all the medalists, the most miserable medalists that you can have. They're, they're not happy with their silver. They should have, they, they wanted to get the gold. They're not even that happy they didn't get the silver because they're looking at what they could have got. They're looking at what they could have got. No silver lining. In fact, they found that silver medalists, some of them describe winning a silver medal as actually the same feeling as having a bereavement having a bereavement. Those of you who suffered loss, you're like, some of them describe it as a bereavement. It's just a deep, deep disappointment and pain. You know, when you're playing in a football tournament, you wonder, would you rather lose in the semifinal or get to the final and lose? I mean, I guess if you get to the final, you have the chance of winning. But if you know you're going to lose both games, you're going to lose a semi and you're going to lose the final, you'd probably say, I'd rather just lose the semifinal rather than go through the agony of getting so close in the final and then losing. If I know I'm going to lose, I'd rather just lose before I get there. There was a silver medalist from the UK team, uh, Iloab Mohammed. Silver medalist for the UK in Rio de Janeiro in 2016. And he said these words. He said, I think about what happened in Rio literally all the time. It hurts to my core and it is something that I will never, never get over. Silver medalists have been reported to die. Listen to this. Silver medalists have been reported to die on average two to four years. Sorry. Die two to four years earlier than bronze medalists, bronze medalists. 
the people they beat, they beat the bronze medalists. They came ahead of the bronze medalists and yet silver medalists die on average two to four years earlier than a bronze medalist because it just eats away at them. It eats away at them for their whole life that they got that close. You know, when it's something that is so close, it can be even worse. Grant Davis was in the 1988 Olympic Games, the ones I was just mentioning earlier, and he was rowing against Greg Davis. 1,000 meter canoe race. They crossed the line at what looked like the exact same time. They did a photo finish. They had to do a photo finish. I mean, they, they, to the naked eye, it was exactly the same. They did a photo finish and they found out that the one canoe, after 1,000 meters, after 1,000 meters of rowing this canoe, it crossed the line one centimeter, one centimeter ahead of the other canoe. Can you imagine what that silver medalist would be, would be rumming, uh, rolling around in his mind the days, the weeks, and the years afterwards? One centimeter. If only. If only I rode a little bit harder. If only I'd gone to practice uh, 10 minutes earlier every day. If only I'd gone to that training session when I, when I skipped one. If only I had eaten something different for breakfast that morning. If only one centimeter. One centimeter. They think about it for years. If only I had angled my body differently as I crossed the line. If only I had, I don't know, tried something a slightly bit different. It's so close. It's so close. And the margins of error are very tight. I'd like to invite you to turn. The, the sermon title is No Silver Lining. I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, I don't know if they were a... Uh, if they were a runner or if they had athletic, athletic blood in their body, so to speak, but they use, analogy, they use an analogy of running in this book. And, you know, Hebrews chapter 12 comes on the heels of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of fame for faith people in the Bible. And after naming all of these people by name in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Isaac, by faith Sarah, after naming all of these people by name, and then the end of the chapter from about verse 30 onwards describes how some people died or what they suffered by faith. After naming all of these individuals, these people, and it ends in the chapter, I'm not preaching on these verses, but just to give the context, in verse 39 and 40, it ends Hebrews chapter 11 with verse 39 and 40, that if you could summarize those two verses, it says, and these all, having lived a good life, sorry, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. He summarizes all the people of Hebrews chapter 11, and he says, all of these people, they lived a good life. They got a good report by faith, but they don't have the promise. What is the promise they don't have? When you look elsewhere in the book of Hebrews, you realize that the promise they don't have is the promise of an eternal inheritance, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. It's the promise of a better country, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. It's the promise of the heavenly land. They don't yet have the promise of the place where they're going. It's like receiving the, the, you know, the, the, the acceptance to, 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 to the best university you could go to. Um, if you're told if you get that grade, you can go, but then you don't get the final letter. They've received the good report. They can get to heaven. But they don't have the promise. And then it says, and these all 
sorry, God having provided some better thing for us that they without us cannot be made perfect. Perfect. The writer of Hebrews paint, paint, paints the picture that all the people in Hebrews chapter 11 who've lived a faithful life, they are waiting for something. It says, and all of these that have a good report through faith, they don't yet have the promise and that they without us cannot be made perfect. There's some role that we play. There's, there's some think there's some part that we as a, a living, breathing a Christian generation have to play in the ending of the story of their life when they get to heaven. David has not yet ascended into heavens. Abraham, the father of the faithful, Sarah is waiting. They're waiting. They're waiting. They're waiting to get to heaven. They're waiting on something. This is a roll call. And as he's making his appeal at the end, like any good preacher, he, he goes through all these people. He lists all these men and women by name. He then comes to Hebrews chapter 12. And he starts with the word wherefore. Wherefore seeing we are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses. It's the analogy. It's the analogy of an audience. Wherefore, he says, because of the fact in light of the fact that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. The cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 12 is all the people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. When you think about these, these giants of the faith, you know, and I understand that we know what the Bible says about when, what happens when you die, that when you die, you don't go to heaven and these people aren't literally watching us. The writer of Hebrews is not saying that Abraham is watching and Sarah is watching and Isaac is watching. He's not saying these people are literally watching us, but he's trying to paint this picture that all of these people have not yet gone to heaven. They're waiting. They're waiting for the, the, the fulfillment of their promise. And then he says, seeing we are surrounded with this great cloud of witnesses. They're watching. Spiritually speaking or symbolically speaking, they are watching. You know, when you think about a crowd, when you think about an audience that's watching, it makes a huge difference when there is an audience. It makes a huge difference when there is an audience. Today at the minute in the UK, we are having a uh, lockdown. The Premier League is playing football and, and there's no one in the stadiums or soccer for the Americans out there who are watching. Don't really like that word, but hey, it is what it is. Or the recently finished NBA season where the NBA finished in, in Florida, I believe at the Advent Health, and, uh, Advent Health Stadium, actually, sponsored by them. They were playing in an empty stadium with no fans. Not one of the players in the Premier League or in the championship or in the football, any tier in the UK here or the soccer. Not one player in the NBA would tell you, oh, actually, you know, we prefer it without the fans. All of them, bar none, will tell you we cannot wait for the day when the stadium can be full of fans again. They call the fans the 12th man, the extra player, the singing, the cheering, the motivation from the crowd that can get the players, uh, get the players to be on their game enough to make a difference. It's why there's such a thing as home field or home court advantage. 
When you're playing in your home stadium, it's not because you know the stadium dressing room inside out that makes the advantage. No, no, no. It's not that the pitch or court is any different to a pitch or court in another place. The advantage of playing at home, the advantage of home field, home court, home pitch advantage is the crowd. Because you have a partisan crowd that's cheering you on. And as the crowd is cheering you on, it can make you do stuff that previously without them cheering, you wouldn't do. You try just that little bit more. And Paul, as, oh, sorry, as the writer of Hebrews is writing this, he's trying to paint this picture. We as human beings are living our life and we're surrounded with this cloud of witnesses. We've got this crowd behind us. And after painting this sport analogy, he then directly alludes to sport and says this, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Seeing we're compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses. Then he goes on and says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. And then he says, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, there are two things in this verse. There are two things in this verse that we normally focus on. So there's two things, and we normally focus on just one. It says to lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us. The use of the conjunction there, and, shows that they are two separate things. Lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. There's two separate things. Oftentimes when I've preached this before and when I've heard it preached, we focus on the sin that does so easily beset us. The second point. It's the one that we normally focus on. It's the one that's maybe some, somewhat easier focus on, the sin which so easily besets us. You know that sin, the, the sin that always gets us, the person who always pulls you down, the place when you go, you just end, when you go near that place, you just end up going in, that relationship that you may have tried to do the right thing, but you keep slipping up. That website that you just seem to go to when, whenever you're feeling low, that you know is wrong. That sin that is your, your darling sin, the one that you swirl in your mouth, the one that you enjoy the taste of before, during, and after, that one. That sin that's so easily, I mean, there's some sins that maybe it's kind of hard to get dragged into, but these sins, no, the ones that are so easy, the one that no one knows about, the one that's private to you, the one that God forbid only your guardian angel knows. And if you actually thought about that for a few moments, it, it, would, it would kind of, oh, no. That one, it says, lay aside that sin. You see, you can't take that with you to the kingdom. We need a refresh. Our theme this weekend is refresh. We need to refresh on our spiritual lives. And that means not every piece of baggage we have can we take with us. And those sins, the one that catch us, the ones that pull us down, the one, those ones need to go. Ask God this weekend, ask God right now, may the spirit impress upon me. What are those sins? Impress upon my mind vividly, very, very vividly. What that is and practically what to do. But before he mentions the sin that does so easily beset us, the one that dragged us down, he says, let us lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. So the weight, the weight is different to the sin. 
Every weight is different to the sin that does so easily beset us because you've got the conjunction in the middle of and. Every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Two things. Traveling with weight is harder. It's harder to travel with weight. When you're carrying extra weight, it makes the journey hard. And he says, lay aside every weight. Every weight. You know, runners who are professional runners, they look at exactly how much a, a, a T-shirt or a shorts or how much do the running shoes weigh. They weigh everything to the minutia because any little bit of weight can slow you down. Triathletes that, that do the Ironman, they swim 2.5 miles and, and, and they cycle 140 miles in, or the 12, 112 miles, and then they run 26 miles. Those people, they, 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 the, the, the tiny grams make a difference over 140 miles. Recently, as I mentioned it during lockdown, I, I, I spent a fair bit of time walking with Enoch. I used to push him around on, on the, with, the, with the pram or the push chair when he was younger, but then we got given by a Another, fam uh, another family who have young children, they very kindly gave us one of these back carriers and it was a real blessing. And we didn't use it early on because you, you can't put kids in them when, when they can't sit up straight. But when Enoch kind of got the ability to sit up on his own earlier this year, we started to use it. And so I started to walk around with Enoch, you know, just walk around the village and go walk around the fields around and, and, and you, know, it, you know, go for walks four, five, six, seven miles a day. Now, carrying now an almost two-year-old plus the framed structure, it's been very good for my health. It's been very good. I, I was in Wales recently climbing a hill. I don't know if it'd be right to call it a mountain that I've, I've climbed many, many times, uh, Analog. It's near our campsite in Wales of Aberdaran. It's, it kind of overlooks down on the site. And every year we climb it for junior camp, uh, youth camp and uh, early teen camp. And we go up that, that, that hill numerous times every year and have been doing so for the last 50 odd years that we've been camping in that campsite in Wales. And I climbed it many, many times. This time though, I, I climbed it a few a month or so ago with Enoch on my back. And climbing it on my own versus climbing it with Enoch on my back, you can definitely feel the difference. You know, as you climb, as you're taking those steps up the hill, you know, each step is a, a little bit harder because you've got almost like two stone combined on my back. And as I get close to the top and you've got to uh, climb up a few rocks and it gets a little bit steeper, it's harder as you get to the top and it gets a bit steeper when you're carrying weight. It would have been a whole lot easier for me, though I'd never do it, obviously, because he's my son, to just take him off and leave him and climb and get to the top. It'd be a whole lot easier to get to the top without carrying the weight. Weights slow us down. Weights slow us down. But you see, a weight is different to a sin because the Bible says, lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. We know what a sin is. A sin is the transgression of the law. That's easy. A sin is the transgression of the law. Flee sinful lusts, flee fornication, so on, so on. We just had a workshop on that. You know, we can clearly identify what that is. Flee that sin, leave that sin alone. But what about that every weight? It could be wrong. Maybe not. But maybe for sure. What is a weight? It's different to a sin. In fact, a weight is not a sin. It may be that the weight 
can lead you to a sin. It may be that the weight could make the sin easier, though the weight itself is not a sin. It's kind of a gray area. It might be different for each person. Maybe it's your involvement and obsession with shopping. Nothing wrong with shopping. All of us have to shop something in our life. But maybe you're just a little bit obsessed with it. Maybe. Maybe it's those video games. See, I only, I only play the clean ones. I only play the clean ones. But maybe that's what it is for you. I don't know. I don't know. It could be different for everyone. Some people can play. I don't have any games on my phone. I'm the type, if I play like a game on my phone, whatever, even if it's a boring game like Tetris or what's that game? Words with friends. I used to play words with friends all the time. I used to love playing words with friends on my phone, but I had to delete the game. Don't play it anymore. Why? Because I'd be playing words with friends and I would just kind of get obsessed by that game. I'd be playing games with all my friends that I knew who had their app. Then I'd be playing games with random people because you could just find a random person online and play against them. I'd have like 10, 15 games going at once. And I'd just be playing all these games, word of friends, words of friends, words of friends, words, 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 words. You know, getting, getting my vocabulary better, I would say. No, 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 no. I was wasting time. Used to get pretty good at that game. Delete that game. Delete it. Off the phone. Don't play it anymore. Why? Was it a sin? Probably not in the strictest sense of the word. But it could have been a weight. It could have been a weight. Maybe it's your involvement in sports. Maybe it's something that's not necessarily evil or bad, but it is a weight. Maybe it's the time that you spend every day on Instagram. Instagram's not evil. But maybe the time you spend on it is. Maybe it's your YouTube habits or your Facebook habits or your Snapchat or, or your TikTok habits. Maybe it's, it, it, it's something like that. And then every time you're like, no, 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 but, uh, but I'm, uh, I'm witnessing. I'm witnessing. I'm witnessing. But maybe the weight causes you to take your eyes off Jesus. You see, the weight is something that may not be a sin. But it could be something that if time is spent with that thing too long, it can easily go from being just a weight to being an idolatry. To being an idolatry. Depending on how we use it and depending on the time that we spend on it. The Bible says lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. The sermon title is No Silver Lining. The most disappointed people in the Olympics are the silver medalists. And the most disappointed people, I believe, on the borders of the Canaan land, so to speak, on the borders of heaven, will not be those who, who, who like didn't make it at all and knew they were never going to go. It'll be those people that thought they were going to make it, that thought they were going to score gold, so to speak. But they just had some weights. They just had some weights that held them back from getting to the finish line and getting that gold crown in heaven song of solomon's chapter 2 verse 15 says that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine it's the little foxes that spoil the vine you know contrary to what your grandparents may say there's nothing inherently wrong with social media 
It has spread the gospel into places where it would never go before. In fact, doing this whole thing by social media is what we're doing. But what about your usage? What about your usage? You go online to post something and then you spend one hour scrolling, 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 thumb just moving, moving, moving. Maybe it's a weight. Maybe it's a weight. Lay it aside. To miss out on heaven due to a sin is one thing, but to miss out due to a weight, I think that would be hard to take. I think the sense of regret and loss would be the same as someone who finishes silver by one centimeter. You know, when you miss out on a top grade by a few points, the feeling is terrible. If you miss out on the top, you get 80% in your exam. It's like, ah, I got 80%. 100, like, I couldn't even get 100. But if you miss out on 100 by 98 or 99, that sense of, ah. You know, I've flown on a few planes in my life, in my lifetime, a fair few. I've had almost every type of uh, travel experience one can have, turbulence, bad landings, good landings, long flights, quick flights. I've been early for flights. I've slept in the airports on more than one occasion, waiting for connections and so on, so on and so forth. But unfortunately, in all my midst of my travel experiences, I've also missed flights. I've missed two flights, two flights. There was one flight that I missed that I wasn't in the end that really bothered about missing it because the friend that I was flying with, God bless him, I trusted him to read the flight details. And he said, I said, what time do we need to be there? He gave me the time. I said, okay, we'll go at that time. I never actually checked. We get to the airport in time to check in. And as we got to the airport, they were like, what are you doing here? We got to the airport to check in at the time the plane landed in our destination. The guy's like, uh-uh. That's the time it lands. It took off like two hours ago. We missed the flight by two hours. It showed up at completely the wrong time. That wasn't so bad. I mean, it was kind of stupid. We had to fly the next day and, you know, we, we missed the day of, of actually snowboarding, which was pretty bad. But I once missed a flight where I missed it by like 20 minutes. I was racing to get there, racing. I won't tell you how fast I was driving, but it was triple digits. Racing to get there, driving hard shoulder, fast lane, hard shoulder, fast lane, just blasting to get there. Flying home from Washington, D.C. to England for the Christmas holidays. And I missed it by a slim, slim margin. And the sense of regret or whatever you want to say when you miss it by something so close. I wonder, what was it that kept Lot's wife? Was it a sin? Was it a weight? I don't know. I don't know. It's a book, I story I once read by Eric B. Hare. He was in, um, he was in Burma and the, the Chinese or the Japanese were coming and they had to evacuate. And they were selling everything off in their mission station and getting and, and, and leaving. And he says that, you know, people were trying to come and donate goods to the, uh, to the mission station then as they were about to evacuate the next day. And they said, it's too late. We can't, we can't take any of your goods or your money or anything that could have aided our cause five months ago. We can't take anything now. And, and there was a sense of regret from some of these people that their good, um, their good material goods were going to go completely to waste and ruined by the invading army. And they, and they could have, he said, we could have used it five months ago, but we can't use it today. We're leaving tomorrow as well. We're leaving tomorrow as well. No silver 
lining. No silver lining. You know when Noah built his ark? I often wonder the people that were the dumbest or the people that maybe had the most sense of disappointment once the rain started to fall was not the general public who had been mocking him for the last 120 years, but the people who actually built the ark. The people who worked on the ark, the people who sawed the wood and hammered the nails and, and put the pitch in the gaps, those people that kind of built the very thing that could have saved them and like, nah, I'm not getting on there. Nah, it was good. Thank you for the money, but I'm not getting on. And then when, the, when they first fell water fall from heaven and said, well, what is that? And then it started to come harder and faster. And then the realization is, oh no, whatever Noah, this crazy man was saying was right. And now, now we're outside. Now we're not in the ark and they run up and bang on the doors. Remember me, Noah, you know my name. You know my name. Close, very close, but not there. When I picture the millennium, at the end of millennium, you've got the end of the 1,000 years, and you've got all the people of all ages alive at the same time, and the righteous are inside the city, and the wicked are outside the city. That image just kind of in your mind is just like, wow, everyone who's ever been born is alive at the same time. The righteous inside, the wicked outside, and there's going to be many, many people inside. They're going to be like, praise the Lord. I let go of that weight. Praise the Lord, I let go of that sin. It wasn't worth holding on to. Look at the glory that I'm in in heaven. Look at the joy I have here. It was not worth it. Thank you, Jesus. And there's going to be people outside that will be saying the exact same thing, but just in reverse, like, why? 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 Just for that? The disappointment of silver, the disappointment of silver. In the 1980 Olympic games in Moscow, the 100 meter race was won by the last white man who ever won the 100 meters. His name was Alan Wells. He was running for Great Britain. He comes from Scotland. The games were in Moscow and because the games were in Moscow, the United States boycotted the games. Communism, capitalism, et cetera, et cetera. They boycotted. Some people said the only reason Alan Wells won the 100-meter uh, goal was because the Americans weren't there. I mean, you can only race who's there. You can only race who's there. But three weeks after the Olympic Games, he raced the top three Americans at a meet in Europe, and he beat all three of them. He beat all three of them. I believe he was a worthy Olympic champion. You can only race who's there. And even the ones who weren't there, he raced them afterwards and still beat them. But at the Olympic Games, his main competitor was a man called Silvio Leonard, Silvio Leonard. And in the race, they were neck and neck. And at the 80 meter mark, Silvio Leonard and uh, Alan Wells started to pull away from the rest of the pack, but they're neck and neck, the two of them. You can't, you can't separate the two of them, neck and neck. And then with seven meters to go, Alan Wells leaned into a deep lean, an extreme lean. They crossed the line with the same time. Slow time by today's standards, 10.25 seconds they crossed the line in. When they looked at the photo of them crossing the line, Alan Wells, even though it was the same time, 10.25, Alan Wells had crossed the line about 2.5 inches, 76 millimeters, 7.6 centimeters that much. 
ahead of his rifle. It was him leaning and putting his head far forward. His head was just that much ahead of the chest of his rival. If they'd gone chest to chest, he would have lost. But because his head was a little bit down, a little bit further down, he crossed the line just, just two inches or, or 7.6 centimeters ahead of his, of his rival, and he won the gold medal. Doesn't have to live with the disappointment of silver. I don't know what would come between you in your spiritual experience and your walk today, what would come between you and a gold medal. But I believe just like silver medalists are the most disappointed athletes in the whole Olympic Games, especially at the medalists. We as Seventh-day Adventist young people today do not wanna suffer the disappointment of silver in our spiritual lives. And the admonition of the writer of Hebrews is let us lay aside every weight, every weight, and the sin that does so easily beset us. This evening, I want you to look at your own heart and mind and see what are those weights? What are those weights that you justify? What are those weights that you just say, nah, 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 it's okay. What are those weights that you know you need to trim or cut or, or, or manicure? Let go of. What are those weights in your spiritual life that make the difference between the speed you can run to get to the line? The Bible tells us that it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What are those weights? What are those weights? Let us not be disappointed with silver. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads or pray wherever you may be. Father in heaven, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, in the quietness of our home, our internet connection, with our laptop, our phone, or our iPad, whatever device we're listening to at the minute, Lord, in addition to the electronic message that we're hearing, Lord, speak spiritually to our hearts. Some of us may need conviction as to what the sins are. But maybe, we've, we've, maybe some of us have dropped the obvious things. But there's still some weights that we need to let go of. There's still some weights holding us down. There's still some weights slowing us in our spiritual journey. Lord, point them out to us. And as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just acknowledge and ask the Lord to come into your heart and renew you and strengthen you where you're weak. Bless us, Lord, with grace to help in time of need, we pray in Jesus' name.